0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel worlds And welcome back, forgotten American ta- patriots who are completely beleaguered and under siege by this tyrannical government. And when I say tyrannical, I mean on all state and county levels. Um, Guys, you have been amazing, amazing, just like my extended family. I really feel like our great National Town Hall is almost like a family. So many of you have just uh, sent beautiful emails, messages. I'm sorry I haven't gotten a chance to respond to all of them, but whether it's on Twitter or through email congratulating me on my baby, uh, now uh, broadcasting here in my home under home confinement uh, for the first time with a family of six, um, four kids so far. It's unbelievable. So uh, what was this? I can't even remember. It was Monday night around 10 o'clock. My wife goes from 0 to 100 with labor really quickly, and we always knew this. Our second kid was born uh, at home, actually, and I wasn't having that again. So I got my sister down here, and I just floored the gas pedal 70 miles an hour on the main road to the hospital, and she could barely walk to the entrance, and the kid was born at 15 minutes later. Um, it never gets old. It just never gets old seeing the wonders of God unfold before your eyes. It's probably probably really where you see the hand of God more than anything else in your life. And in many respects, this was more surreal than even my first kid. It's obviously very surreal becoming a father or mother for the very first time. But what's even just weirder is having a bunch of kids, having a few kids, but they're all boys. And then you're a boy family for, for a full decade. And then suddenly you have a girl and you just it's just weird. <laughs> like what do you what do you do with that? So um yeah, I mean it's just just unbelievable. I've barely gotten any sleep. Uh we just got home with the baby. The kids are taking turns to uh hold the baby and I just wanted to make sure to reach out to you guys, do one last show this week. I'm going to be taking off for the rest of the week. Hopefully, we'll be back Monday, regular schedule. I know this is a really taxing time for me to leave, um, but there are some other good people picking up the mantle, leading the show. Uh, Sign up for our Facebook page, Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary, where you could send an email, send tips. They'll put it up on the Facebook page, try to get it out while I'm gone. We're going to have Jordan Schachtel back on the show in a few moments uh, to co-host here. Make sure you follow him. Certainly, he is putting out the truth. And and folks, that's why I need you guys to go to blazetv.com forward slash CR. And you could put in promo code Daniel to get $30 off an entire year's subscription to Blaze uh, TV. You get the full array of content for an entire year for just 69 bucks um we really need to get the message out because we have experts that are killing this country one of the things that i, I just really struck me was that everyone realizes you can't miss it if you're a mother or a father the whole birth process the life process is such a miracle you have nothing to do with it you know obviously we badly wanted a girl, you know, having three boys, you want to go through life and have at least one of each. And it's one thing that's just, it's just out of your hands. You know, you, you can't do that. You you can't pick what you're going to have. It is all up to God. And I think we need to recognize that death is no different than life. If God fully controls birth, he control controls death as well. We, you know, God gives us nature and certain rules that we follow to guard our souls, as we're required to do in Deuteronomy. But what we're not required to do is destroy ourselves based on faulty experts. At some point, we got to recognize, yes, people are dying, but everything we could have done to stop it, we didn't do, with immigration, with stopping large gatherings when it mattered. And now, when we still have subways running, We have all this fascism, just terrible, terrible, terrible stories um, going on. So that was just my thought, that it amazes me how when it comes to death, it's like, oh, it's 100% in our hands to have some sort of policy to fix it. And look, you guys know I'm I'm very much a solutions guy. I'm a policy guy. Hey, here's what we could do. Here's what we can do. But we also have to recognize our limitations at this point. And the bigger question we're going to explore when I come back is, What we're doing, is it counterintuitive? Talk about that a little bit with Jordan as well. So that's with that. Also, I just wanted to give a shout out to you moms in the audience. And I know we have a lot of them. Uh, I just know from some of the studies that the surveys that Blaze has done, this show has a tremendous amount of female listeners relative to most conservative shows that are maybe 80, 20 male. So we do certainly have a lot of moms there. And all I'll tell you guys is, hats off to you, because I had to be a mother um, for more than 24 hours. I wasn't allowed back in the hospital once I went home because of the virus and everything. And I don't know, to go with one hour of sleep and deal with the three kids at a very you know, emotionally needy time, it was really something else. <laughs> um, it's a lot harder than working 14-hour days sometimes doing politics. And I just don't understand how people do it. You know, my wife stopped working after the third kid. And again, I'm not making a political statement here. I'm just, just saying what I what I found. Um, I don't know how people do it, working and having, having kids. It is so, so difficult. Uh, you know, clearly, I obviously have my moments with the kids. I have, there's certain, you know, there's certain daddy time with kids, but... It's clearly not an equal proposition, and obviously, my wife is the primary caretaker, and wow, it is it is a job, and especially now with them always off of school. I mean, they're just all home, so really difficult, but thanks so much for your best wishes. You guys are awesome, and it just it feels so amazing to have this extended family of like-minded people that have taken such an interest in um, this great, joyous occasion. For my wife and I. Now, I want to start out with a story and there's so many stories I've missed and I'm not really up on the news and not up on you know my sources and everything but I find it shocking there was a tweet put out by one of the New York City's you know police agencies police unions and there was this viral video showing this guy sucker punching a cop. And Chip Roy, you know, I forgot what Chip said, but he weighed in and was like, this is horrible. This has got to stop or something. And this, uh, it's it's the New York City um, PBA. They put out. How absurd is it that a sitting congressman from Texas weighs in to denounce this vile attack on our cops before a word is spoken from the New York City mayor or New York City speaker, county, I don't know who that guy is, county official they're talking about. It says a lot about New York City politics when it comes to supporting our police officers and stopping anti-cop rhetoric. And so there's two things. Number one, obviously, again, you see how many people— are not pro-criminal, aside from Chip Roy, very few. But number two, what I found interesting is we're living in a time where it's like a juggernaut. We live in a police state. I have an article out yesterday. I got in. I filed uh, with our editor before, um, right before I took my wife to the hospital, literally right before. And I list just a bunch of corona fascism cases. And, And again, subways are still running. Supermarkets are still crowded in. But all these stories of people being handcuffed, being alone in a park, alone, and cops just running around—we have this massive police state, this police juggernaut. But yet, somehow, when it comes to true criminals and illegal aliens, it's like they're powerless; they're beaten up. You no, know, you know, then suddenly, they, you know, they, they, their hands are are tied. It's pretty, pretty corrupt. And again, I cannot urge you enough. You have to contact your state legislators and county officials to get involved. Get involved. Get on the playing field. Start restricting the county executives. There's one story I want to share with you before we get to our guest. Dallas County commissioners vote to limit Judge Clay Jenkins' emergency powers. Now, just so you know, in Texas, the county executives, or some will call them county uh, administrators, whatever in your given state, they're called judges, but they're not real judges. They're they're executive officials. So this guy is one of the big fascists, and commissioners voted that um, he has to notify them before any more restrictions are placed on essential businesses, and they also required him to get majority vote before extending his shelter-in-place order past April 30th. Now look, Dallas County is a cesspool now. Unfortunately, I mean the ever bluing of Texas. So these guys are a bunch of you know weaklings too. But and and this is kind of weak sauce. But what it does jet demonstrate is that in a more conservative area, it is very doable. And the county commissioners and the state legislators need to get involved. Um, Commissioner John Wiley Price, who represents large a large part of southern Dallas, said there's been a throat choke on his community the past few weeks, and that has and and that he was incensed by decisions Jenkins had made unilaterally. If you can confer with 250 people every day, or every other day, then you can confer with us, he told Jenkins. And this is really the big lie, the big lie going on. See, I've said this again and again and again. If this were really all about, um, just simply about, I don't know, just, making sure we don't have the virus spread, then you wouldn't have subways open, but then go like fascists against individuals that aren't crowding into anything. That's that's the truth of it. The same people that had these massive Chinese lunar year celebrations in Queens, suddenly now they're like, you can't be an individual in a park. Are you kidding me? That, that's the issue 99.9% of this is just being aware being careful you know washing your hands which you know i wasn't doing before but now we are and not having large gatherings but beyond that why do essential medical practices dentist offices other small businesses that don't have crowds leisure activities why do they need to be shut down the answer is this is all about remaking america into a fascist police state. Except, of course, for where you need the police, dealing with criminals. It, it, it is shocking that we still don't have a rebellion. There's a couple of signs. I saw I saw an article in Idaho. Let me know um, if you're seeing signs of a rebellion. But sad to say, I am going to be a little bit on hiatus, but come Monday, God, I hope you know some of the downtime gives me some sort of idea how to break through this. But I want to get to our special guest. So, guys, before I get to Jordan, I just want to preface by saying, you know, a lot of people are asking me, you know, why I named my daughter Miriam. And obviously with Passover coming, it's Easter coming for most Americans, Christians, um, there's a Jewish tradition that when Pharaoh decreed that all the babies need to be thrown in the water, all baby boys in particular. So the Jews started to just not have kids. Well, what are we going to do? Um, we're just not going to have kids anymore because we don't want them to die. And Miriam established a principle, a principle that was affirmed by King David in the last chapter of Samuel that it's better to fall in the hands of God than fall in the hands of man. And, you know, the way the. The tradition goes is that Miriam was five years old when Moses was born, and he would have been thrown in the river. He would have been killed. Parents didn't want to have any more kids. And she said, well, wait a minute. You're creating a man-made problem that's worse than the punishment God is giving you, meted out through Pharaoh. But nonetheless, it's worse because you're destroying the entire Jewish people in perpetuity. At some point, you got to power through it, and God will be there with with you. But what you can never do is create a man-made problem that is worse than the problem confronting you. And certainly this here is not even a man-made decree. It's from God. It's a plague. And we have an entire elite that is misdiagnosing it, that... When, it, when when we actually could have done something to keep it out of the country for, for the most part and stop large crowds like the stupid Lunar Year celebration in February, we didn't. And then now, when everyone is being as careful as they can, they say, we're going to arrest you even if you're alone outside. Shut down not just the economy, but really the fascism is, is even worse than what they're doing to the economy. We will never recover from that. Um. I always like to give you guys the most up-to-date, cutting-edge information, and because I've been pretty much out of things the last 36 hours, I don't sit and go and wing it like some other people do. I want you guys to get the most up-to-date information, so that's why I'm bringing on to co-host the rest of the show, Jordan Shacktel, who needs no introduction other than you guys must, 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 must follow him on Twitter. Um, that is not an option, especially when I'm gone. But even always at Jordan Schachtel, S-C-H-A-C-H-T-E-L, um, just the greatest Twitter feed alive uh, for for the times we live in. Hey, Jordan, thanks so much for joining us the third time this month.
1: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me anytime.
0: All righty. So I just wanted basically an overview of the state of play now. So let's talk about the political state of play and then we'll talk about just the practical logistical things, the the data, um, the latest data on the virus and everything. I was struck today, one of our um, leaders on our Facebook fan page, Heather, sent me a quote that I forgot about from um, Eisenhower's farewell address in 1961. He's famously known for Warning about the military industrial complex. And it's interesting, you and I have been together for years talking about how, you know, people that are supposedly experts like Mattis and they, they serve their entire life in the military when you and I have never been in the military. So, really, we should just shut up and sit down. But how we see in front of our eyes just asinine decisions that violate the basic tenets of common sense. The stupidity of everything we should be doing with terrorism, we don't do. Everything we shouldn't be doing, we invest in. We double down on stupid. We're stuck on stupid, and yet we're told that you gotta listen to the military experts. And Eisenhower, who was the ultimate, you know, military experts, he was the commanding general of of the uh, D-Day in World War II. He recognized more than anyone. He said, "Look, you know, um, our military is specifically controlled by." civilian leadership for a reason, not by military experts. And similarly, he said in the same farewell address, but less well-known, he talked about the scientific industrial complex. He said, in holding scientific research and discovery in respect, as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific technological elite. Isn't that what's going on right now?
1: It's very well said. And the idea that these scientists are somehow infallible has been proven wrong by history and it's being proven wrong today. Um, When you see these charts and models and graphs that they're relying on, um, it's a hilarious exercise in the so-called experts being incredibly wrong. I mean, these models predicted with 95 plus percent confidence that they knew the exact ranges of what was going to happen with coronavirus, with hospitalizations, ICUs, deaths, cases. You know, they had it all figured out. So we put into place this, these policies um, based on these models that every state is following. And these models are, are, are wrong uh, across across the board. And now we're just left with a country on lockdown because, you know, this what Eisenhower called the scientist or scientist industrial complex or whatever he referred to it as, um, we put all of our faith in them. And it turns out that they are also human and have been given a portfolio way beyond their scientific purview.
0: Exactly. And and I, that's why I thought it was important to preface this um, with that quote, because you know it's very intimidating oh my gosh danny like they're always like and i know you're getting this a lot and and several of us that are pushing back well show me your degrees and your credentials and your you know uh, you know journal articles on this and the thing is you and i deal with a full array of public policy and there's something about people that actually study public policy from a common sense perspective that you know i usually get things right <laughs> On a lot of policies, farm, foreign, foreign policy, immigration, economics—I mean, you name it. Whereas all these experts that have you know much greater education than I do, I have no you know higher degrees. Um, they're wrong on everything. They're wrong on military, right? I mean, who could be a greater expert than people in the military as opposed to civilians? Um, but again, the way I view it, and I think I, I want you to take my analogy and apply it to where we sit today. But what I always talked about with the um, just stupidity of the of what we've been doing militarily for 20 years is that the military, you could tell them, okay go to this place and this city and do this, you know, go and protect or work with Army A and fight B. And they'll go and do it and get involved and get sucked into the granular details and that will become an industry. But it's a it's incumbent upon us to ask. Well, should we even be doing that? Is that entire approach, um, what you know, in our interest? Is it counterintuitive to our interest? Should we be doing something instead? They might know better than I do how to take a house down and how to secure a perimeter. But in terms of the the broad strategy. You can't leave it in their hands, and we see they're wrong every time. So aren't we seeing the same thing here where they're telling us how to do a lockdown, but nobody is defending the evidence of whether that is the best strategy for even dealing with the virus in a vacuum, much less all the collateral healthcare damage and economic damage?
1: It reminds me a um, lot—you talked about the military, about the hearts and minds stuff that we were seeing in Afghanistan and Iraq— and how the military um, DOD folks were expressing with great confidence that yes, we can win the hearts and minds and you know turn these people into Jeffersonian Democrats. And this was like the bureaucratic groupthink at the time. But we knew that the military has very specific tasks. We know what they're good at. And they were being tasked with extending much further than they were comfortable with. So the bureaucrats who wanted to move to the top of the chain, said, oh, yeah, we can do this. We're 100% sure that we're capable. Um, you know, we're going to build the roads, bridges, and schools, and we're going to pay off all of these tribes and win these people over. And this has nothing to do with their military training. And now all of a sudden, we have the same thing with the scientists, where um, they've been uh, put in charge of a portfolio that involves the the mental, physical health of Americans. Um, you know, these are physician scientists that are experts in Viral disease spread, mostly HIV/AIDS, and now they're be, now they're telling us that um, Amer- three hundred million Americans need to be in boxes. Uh, the economy needs to shut down. Society needs to shut down. You can't be within six feet of anyone. And they are using their their HIV/AIDS models to stop the spread and just imposing it on the entirety of society. And we're we're going hundred um, percent on the accelerator with COVID nineteen. And somehow the, the nation's expert class has entirely forgotten that there are so many more variables that make this country work. And to abandon every other aspect of American society, the American economy, um, we're going to have so many issues that, result, that are coming as a result of this shutdown. I mean, you can't even begin to even fathom what it's going to look like if this continues for another 30 days. I'm already seeing uh, videos of, of, of food bank lines that are miles long. I mean, imagine what a hunger crisis is going to look mm-hmm. like in America, um, a supply chain crisis. There's farmers that can't sell their goods, uh, that are throwing stuff away and burning stuff. And it's just there are so many ramifications from thoughtless policy, groupthink policy, and we're seeing it play out now.
0: So. I want to talk about the current state of play with the virus spreading it right now. Some of your most recent observations since I had you on about a week and a half ago um, and where we're headed from here. So let's just start from the premise that, like you said, nothing matters except for COVID. Okay, that's all we need to focus on. Nothing matters. And we want to defeat this in the best way, whether we're going to destroy everything else. okay, fine. But what is the what exactly are we doing? So. You know, they, they they said 2.2 million would die. Then it was, what, like 100 to 240,000. Now I believe they're down to estimates, you know, it will be 61,000, I believe. Um I think the memo has gone out beyond, like, the circle of 10 of us kind of focusing on this, that, yes, the models were, you know, completely off. But what the other side is saying now is, well, exactly our point. You see, you guys just want to go out there and yuck it up and enjoy yourselves outside. But, you know, we got a people under lockdown and that's why uh, things are doing better now. And that's why the projections are lower. But if you go and open it up until we say you can, well, then it's going to go right back up to those you know scarier numbers. What would you say to the people that are positing that argument?
1: Well, I think that they're not learning about the virus and how it spreads. Um, 50% of all the fatalities have been in the New York City metro area. Another significant portion have been localized to um, Louisiana, New Orleans, and the Detroit area. And there are several other areas that are really not being impacted at all, or, or very minimally. When you talk about, you know, the scale of pandemic chaos that they were discussing in the past, so even if they think it's the worst thing in the world, we can at least, uh, we should at least be able to agree that this needs to be a localized issue. I mean, there are some some states that this is just not going to be a big deal in. Uh, If you have geography, natural separation, you're not gonna see the transmission problem that you see in New York City. And this has been an an obvious um, parallel when you look at the worst case scenario areas, in in Lombardy region of Italy, in in Madrid, Spain, you have, and in Queens, and outside of Elmhurst Hospital, which is apparently the worst case situation, it's the same thing over and over again. It's multi-generational families, hundreds of people living on top of each other, uh, transmission death traps, and that's what our, our policy should be focusing on, is these these transmission death traps, instead of Going to um, issuing these sweeping lockdowns, it, it, none of it makes any sense, and it's all just bureaucrats acting in fear, or trying to one up each other, or you know, trying to push author- authoritarian models of control. A- and nobody's thinking. You know, we need to get back to thinking, and at least uh, have s- at least federal policy uh, agree that there's some kind of middle ground here, because the the situation now is totally untenable.
0: No, no, it really is. And 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 what I find is that. It's like a ten ninety proposition. It's that you could get ninety percent of our country working again, at least domestically, without you know putting aside international travel. If you just relinquish the ten, and but but on the other hand, you could. It's not responsible for the transmission. It's like a certain like real mass gatherings are the big problem, and we're not calling for that. Although the ultimate mass gathering is still going on, aka subway. Um, subway systems and, and buses while individuals with nobody within six feet of them are being arrested for just God knows what they're doing now. I mean, it's getting really bad. So that's what's so, isn't that a big part of the dishonesty that the very same people who wouldn't, who, who, who mocked and even called racist the notion of canceling the Chinese lunar year celebration in Queens and in several other places Are now going and saying we need lockdown, and they're conflating lockdown with being completely unaware that the virus is around and taking no precautions.
1: Yeah, it seems like we have it all backwards. I mean, I would entertain a proposal that would say, you know, we kind of need to monitor symptomatic people coming out of these hotspots, but instead it's a top down approach where everyone has to abide by what's going on in the hotspots. Um, and I, I know you just wrote an article about this at Conservative Review, a lot of the shocking stuff is that we don't, we also don't have really a formula for how we're attributing deaths to COVID-19 and it's creating uh, chaos in how we're tracking this thing and how lethal it is. I mean, Dr. burks admitted yesterday that basically if you, if you test positive for it, it's considered a COVID-19 death, but we also need to remember that there are hundred that so many healthcare workers are getting this because the hospital is like a guaranteed place to get COVID nineteen. Ah. So this is a this is a huge huge issue. And if we want to, you know, have the government um, try to keep track of the severity of this thing, and yes, it doesn't seem like it's it's just the flu. You know, this is a serious respiratory condition, sure, and sure. for elderly people, you could have and people with preconditions, you could have real problems. But we need to figure out exactly how this impacts the population, and it seems that the the numbers from other countries and even from the United States, if you don't have preconditions, you have a great chance of beating this, recovering relatively quickly, and that should guide our policy. So, like the problem is when we have these fudged numbers, um, when we're not sure, you know, if someone's dying, if someone has a stroke and shows up and they test positive for COVID nineteen, like is that considered a COVID nineteen death? Um, and I think we need to. In order to guide our policies to like reopen the country, yeah. and I think that involves working class healthy people should be back at work immediately because of such because it's proven to be very low risk to them that we need to start having a, a serious discussion about you know how we're attributing these deaths and everything else.
0: so I found that very shocking when Burks you know let the cat out of the bag, which was really the CDC guidance in their um April. A guidance for, for uh, how to code COVID deaths. So they say, and she said, yeah, you know, anyone with it, if you have reasonable you know, uh, suspicion that they died from, from the virus, you just put it down, whether you have that confirmed or not. And what I found... Pretty astounding, is you know, people would say, "Well, Daniel, you know, what do you mean with the comorbidities? Come on, these people, you know, there's a lot of Americans that live normal lives with diabetes and certainly asthma. Millions have it. They weren't slated to die. Why are they dying now in these hospitals? It's obviously because of COVID." But then we had this big article from this doctor, Krumholz, at Yale New Haven Hospital in Connecticut. He wrote an article in the New York Times, and he said that all of his colleagues are seeing like the disappearance of heart attack and stroke patients, right? That they're not seeing heart attacks, so to speak. Um, and he said that there was an, uh, you know, again, this is not scientific, but there was an informal Twitter poll of cardiologists and almost half of them reported that they're seeing 40 to 60% reduction in admissions for heart attacks. And um, and about 20% reported more than a 60% reduction. And look, certain things with a shutdown of society, you're going to have less of. For example, clearly, and this is a pretty fascinating thing, you're going to have fewer uh, car crashes. So you're going to have less people in the trauma units from that because, I don't know, there's like an 80, 90% reduction of car travel. So yeah, obviously, that's going to go down. But as he noted, with heart attacks, with all the anxiety, all the evidence so- shows that, you know, with terrorism and other big events, if anything, that goes up. Where are they? Now he doesn't tell you and he just his main concern is like he's worried people aren't coming in because they're scared of COVID or getting it, so they're not getting their other stuff treated. But then he lets the the um, cat out of the bag a little later in the article where um, he says studies suggest, that recent respiratory infections can double the risk of a heart attack or stroke. The risk seems to begin soon after the respiratory infection develops, so any rise in heart attacks or strokes should be evident by now. So my concern is, could it be that those missing heart attack numbers are ensconced in some of the people that come in? They test for COVID, but that's because we now know from more evidence millions of people likely have it and have had it and and for almost you know for overwhelmingly most people it's it's mild to at worst case being a flu again other people randomly get it in a way it's deadly but then you know they i mean look god calls in people's number at every time other diseases other the the angel of death is not put out of business you know with other tools in his Shed during coronavirus, so could it be that some of that is missing there?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of proposals to tackle this issue, and one of them is looking at overall deaths um, as a result, just like in the population month by month. But the problem is that we're not going to have that data, and and this is why I don't like bureaucrats suggesting this. We're not going to have that data until like 30 days after the fact, and right now. We have we are in a self-imposed lockdown, so this data is so sketchy, and I think it only adds to the problem of the lockdown situation. Because if I don't want to say you know that there's there's people that are going to take advantage of this um, in a in a routine way, but we saw that the governor of Connecticut uh, attributed an infant death to COVID nineteen. And then the news media broke uh, the story that there was actually an, a- an accident in the household and the baby wow. unfortunately succumbed to the accident and the baby tested positive for COVID-19 while I assume it was already um, gone. A- and for some reason, the governor of Connecticut decided that um, it was a good time for him to start a, a Twitter thread about how COVID-19 impacts uh, the entire of the po- entirety of the population equally. And I just thought of that and I was like, wow, this guy's a total political hack. He's just trying to push his policy items because we know very well that basically if you're under 18 years old and you have no preconditions, I'm pretty sure the the death percentage of people who've died of COVID-19, under 18, no uh, pre-existing conditions is zero. Uh, I think it's 0%, zero percent, 0.0. So um, the idea that this impacts the population equally, it seems to be a tactic to continue uh, the madness. And unfortunately, it is not uh, beneath some politicians to use this stuff to get their way. So that's why when we talk about the numbers, it's just it's a total mess. But we can't wait for good data to get back on track.
0: See, that's what really scares me, that you can't trust these people. COVID has become like global warming. And again, not that it doesn't exist, and and to the people who die from it, it's not that it's not tragic to their families, but it's just that it's now the tool, and and we see why, to, to use for every last progressive thing. As Governor Gavin Newsom of California said, this is our opportunity to remake America in a progressive image. So you know they're going to want to play it up as much as they can, um, and and that's what I wonder because I also I I showed you before we went on air I showed you a chart, um, from where was this you know a chart I saw on Twitter which I think is accurate that pneumonia deaths have plummeted and what this guy did is he grafted of course they're gonna plump they're gonna go down you know throughout March and into April because as you get out of the winter you're then it's gonna go down but it plotted like the last six years and you see that the the dip was much 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 sharper right around when we started testing for for the virus so that's another thing i wonder if again again this is not a hoax it's not that there's no covid it's just the opposite we're saying there's millions of cases of it and there certainly are people dying from it but in addition to like heart attacks and other pre-existing conditions i'm wondering if some of the pneumonia numbers that seem to be too low are really not but are just being taken and put it into this pile.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that we're taking this approach because they, um, you know, pneumonia is such a huge problem in the United States. So that that number should be uh, revealing to a lot of people. Uh, and I think a lot. You, you were right when you made this point that you know, the angel of death doesn't stop working. Unfortunately, just because we have a pandemic, and I think that because of this media coverage highlighting you know, each and every um, tragic incident of someone acquiring it, you know, if it's a politician, celebrity, um, I think we've made this point before, but imagine if that happened during flu season. The country would come to an absolute standstill every single year. And while it appears this might have more of a, an issue than the flu season, um, the new adjustments from the modelers, seem to indicate that it's going to end up looking like a bad flu season when all is said and done. So, again, yep. We, yep. we took all of these tremendous um, policy adjustments, thinking that this tidal wave was coming, and now even the, the, one of the doomsday models is saying, yeah, about 60,000 people will, will die as a result of this wave. Um, and, you know, the flu season, same thing. Every, every year there's a different wave, there's a different flu. So I hope that we can, we can get back. I, I hope that the president can, the, the, the unemployment numbers that are going to come out tomorrow, I'm sure are going to be absolutely shocking again. And I hope that this will drive the president. Uh, I, I don't care what it takes for him to get back on the right track and reopen the economy, whether it's these stupid models or whether it's the unemployment numbers, but this is unsustainable.
0: Yeah, no, no, it really is, and outside of the New York area um, and maybe New Orleans, I mean, the hospitals are ironically emptier than ever. I mean, I can't say for sure because I was at the, uh, you know, maternity ward of you know Sinai Hospital in Baltimore, but it didn't seem overrun with anything. And the assumption was you only get one day; they'll kick you out. And instead, like all these bureaucrats and 50 million lactation people and pediatricians kept coming in my wife's room and she couldn't. And, and then in the end, like we barely wanted to just come home, you know, before the holiday. And it was so hard to get her out this morning. They weren't in a rush. So, you know, and again, Baltimore is it's not New York, but it's not exactly Wyoming. I mean, it's an urban area on the I-95 corridor. So You know, I thought Alex uh, Berenson, who is a former New York Times reporter, tremendous Twitter thread that uh, Twitter handle you guys need to follow, at Alex Berenson, he was on Steve's show uh, earlier this week. I think he made a very interesting point. I want to get your take on it based on the data that you're seeing. That it could be what this will wind up being is a very contagious flu. And what that means is I still think it might be more deadly, but I think the point he was making is that it's It's more contagious, so everyone has it, and everyone's gotten it. Um, so the good news is the denominator is really very low. But the bad news is if you take the flu on steroids and have and have it more contagious, imagine if you have a very contagious, quickly spreading form of the flu that comes in within a few weeks. So you're going to flood the hospitals, at least in the affected areas, with a lot of flu patients. That could really strain the hospitals, and it does happen. I mean, we had what was it, the 1718 season, where eighty thousand people died, and now they're saying we'll only get sixty one thousand out of this. So that that could be pretty bad in the affected areas, but it's not on the form of like, you know, nuclear warfare on, on an entire nation. Um, and and one other thing I wanted to share with you before you you comment is. Uh, you're obviously familiar with this—the Jewish custom of uh, uh, visiting someone who lost a, a parent or a family member for seven days. You know, you visit them, and they talk about their 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 loved one, and it's kind of a way of the Jewish uh, mourning process. So obviously, you can't do that now, but we uh, visited, so to speak, a friend in Richmond, Virginia. My wife knew uh, on Zoom, and he's from New York, and his father—it was one of the boroughs. And his father had muscular dystrophy and, you know, he had terrible heart conditions. He was totally confined to wheelchair. Uh, But, you know, he wasn't going to live till his 80s. That was clear. But nonetheless, he wasn't imminently in danger of dying. And then suddenly his lungs filled up and he got what really appeared to be what everyone's saying with COVID. And he died very suddenly. And you think, I mean, this is okay. I mean, this is it. This is for sure it is. Two days after um, post-mortem, it came back negative. He told me the test came back negative. I really wonder, and I'll never know, but I really wonder how they coded that death.
1: Yeah, Julie Kelly's actually done a lot of good work on this front. And according to a lot of guidelines that we're seeing, uh, well, Julie Kelly from American Greatness you should really read her work um, for those in the audience. But um, basically, if you see if you're a doctor and you see covid symptoms, you can also attribute it, attribute the death to um, the coronavirus. So uh, that that could have been the case. And, and it will be interesting how they how they track that stuff um, in terms of the first question about transmission. It, it is interesting and it does seem to reflect the, the data that we're seeing um, out of New York City and New Orleans and Detroit. And, and I think that it, it's, it's more of a, it, it's definitely a case that you can do some kind of, if it is extremely infectious, but not particularly lethal to a vast segment of the population, I feel like that's just another case for the uh, herd community people, because what lockdown did, is it could have worsened the problem, because if, if, if everyone was already, if there was already a ton of people infected, instead of sending out healthy people to work and into the streets, and, and quarantining the sick and elderly and people with pre-existing conditions, New York City just initiated a sweeping shelter at home order. So you're basically putting everyone on the same playing field instead of protecting you know, the old and the sick. And I think even Governor Cuomo came to admit that, and now he's kind of going back and forth on whether he was right, because I think he views himself now as a presidential contender, so he doesn't want to admit to any particular mistakes he made. But I think if you remember a couple of weeks ago, he said, oh, I was advised about this quarantine thing, that maybe it wasn't such a good idea to, to bring all the kids home from school and you know bring them home to grandma and grandpa.
0: No, exactly, exactly. I mean, that's, that's what you're... Doing to spread it, especially in a place where you have a lot of immigrants that traditionally um, live together with the third generation. Um, I also saw this Bloomberg um, graphic that I thought was very telling, and it showed the duration of lockdown and policies by different countries. And what was shocking was the ones that had the longest duration were Italy and Spain. (laughs) So everyone's saying, like, this is what you need to do. But what's ironic is the ones that are doing it are having the worst results. So well, my here's my final question. I know we got we got to run soon. But what I want you to tell us is where you see things going the next two weeks. Are we seeing... Now, we don't know when the curve started, and that's the whole thing. But even from where we see it, are we seeing a flattening? And if so, where do you see this happening? Does that mean... What does a flattening mean? Does that mean it, you know, it burns itself out, or is this going to keep coming back in some sort of capacity, and it's going to keep getting politicized?
1: Yeah. So as we know, death is a is a lagging indicator. So deaths happen weeks after someone contracts the virus or tests positive for it. So the government is saying that this week is basically going to be the worst week, which means. In their view, the worst is well behind us. That the peak caseload, probably in reality, if we were able to test everyone in the country, was a couple weeks ago. So hopefully, if that's true, we should see a huge drop off um, very soon. But the issue, of course, is that you know the lockdown is was meant to bolster healthcare capacity and not to kill the virus, and the only way you could kill the virus and you know try to keep everyone safe is the insane policy of, of waiting until a vaccine, which, as we both know, is equivalent to just destroying the nation because it's just unsustainable, what we're doing right now for a couple of weeks, let alone over a year. So again, it kind of brings back the case to herd immunity that this virus is still going to be around. And if you want to protect uh, seniors and not sick people in these areas where the virus is prevalent, because I'm not convinced that people's lives are gonna to have to change much in areas where it's not particularly prevalent because there's no data to support when they have these variables that are working for them that this virus is gonna really impact their daily lives. I mean, maybe you know, just issue some basic hygienic stuff and social distancing, maybe limit capacity, in in some restaurants, and not have massive public gatherings. But I think that life can get back to normal in a lot of places, and in places where you have this huge transmission issue, they need to try an approach other than rolling lockdowns, because rolling lockdowns is going to end up killing more people than it ends up saving.
0: And what I find interesting is that a lot of these localities are now mandating that people wear masks, which is really fascism. But at least if you're going to do that, the whole idea was to do like what they did in South Korea. Yeah, everyone go out with a mask and then people go back outside and go back to work. But but ironically, they want to have it both ways. Continue the other fascism, but then also mandate a mask if you know, for the few functions you're allowed to go out with. But, you know, I mean, they're, they're having it both ways. And that really, really does concern me um one more question what is going on with so we can never forever get republicans to talk about china it was impossible i was like dude you got to get it in the bill you got to get it in the bill oh don't worry you will be in the third iteration well it wasn't there nothing on the supply chain nothing on i called for sanctions on china nothing but i my immediate reaction to this was China because, in my wildest dreams, I never thought we would become a police state and I never thought people would go along with it. So, to me, my first thought was like, okay, we got to start preparing the deregulation, the supply chain, you know, mid, mid-term policies, mid to long-term policies. But then we became like a police state. Our constitution was sacked, our economy was sacked, we have martial law, we have no jobs. We've never had anything like this, like, even close in all of our history. World War II doesn't compare because it was the opposite. People were working a lot. Suddenly, all these, like, so-called conservative senators, like, we got to deal with China. We got to deal with China. Like, what the heck? They're always a step behind.
1: I-, I am very frustrated with seeing all these people, organizations, congressmen, senators. They're essentially virtue signaling about China. And they're not talking about what we're talking about, which is getting America the heck back to work. They're saying, you know, damn it, China, why did you do this to us? <laughs> and, you know, are you going to shake your fist at China while we're in a Great Depression? Th- there are two different policies, right? There's our policy against China, and then there's our domestic policy. <laughs> and as you said, our domestic policies were becoming a lot like China, where you just have a total nanny state. People have no individual o- autonomy Um especially during a time of crisis and it's just so ridiculous that you know you're seeing that the mayor of Chicago is going to get her hair cut but she can't trust her constituents to do the same thing and with this mask policy it's the same deal uh, they're instituting it in places where you have plenty of open air and if you can't trust someone to go for a jog um, responsibly it, you can't trust them to do anything so so the, this whole thing is just this nanny state top-down approach where you're enforcing and making up ridiculous laws, you're shredding uh, individual rights. And you're right, it does remind us a lot like China. So when people say, oh, China did this, China did this, we need to, you know, move away from China. And, and I, I get all of that. And China is, is 100% responsible for allowing this pandemic to breach uh, the lab that it came from or the wet market that it came from and go out into the world. And, you know, they continue to lie about it. And we know that. But now we need to focus on fixing our country first before we start you know, defaulting on our debt or doing all these other proposals. These are proposals that we need to think about for our future relations with China. But right now we're trying to stave off um, a, a surefire Great Depression if these policies continue. So who the heck will care about China when we, we both look like China and we're all poor?
0: And no, exactly. I mean, you got to make America American again, and then there's something to defend from China. But- as long as we're going to be china i mean dude like i don't care about china that's foreign policy we we got to fix our own house now it's the same thing with the cause of it oh china lied well they did lie but so did our government by continuing to bring in uh endless people from china throughout you know long after chinese dissidents uh warned about this online and they should have taken it seriously there's no way our intel agencies didn't know even earlier. And then, even after the shutdown, it wasn't a shutdown, and we still brought in people, uh, issued a bunch of visas. We spoke about that on Monday. So, yeah, this is absurd. Folks, you could follow him at Jordan Shacktel on Twitter. Um, thanks, Jordan, for joining us again. Please, you know, call the balls and strikes here because if you don't do it, there's very few to do it. Um, and again, folks, uh, sign up at Horowitz uh, Citizen Sanctuary on Facebook. Um, you got to get in the faces of your state legislators uh, in your and your uh, county councilmen and your congressmen. We got to push to cut their salaries until the economy is moving. We got to end the fascism. We will never recover from that. And sign up for BlazeTV.com forward slash cr promo code Daniel. This is the only place you're going to get the truth. I'll be out Thursday, Friday, but we'll be back in full force on on Monday. Thank you so much for listening. God bless y'all.